rush into Chemist Warehouse for the Christmas fragrance sale. Get big brand fragrances at the lowest prices. This is the House of Ats. Hello, everybody, and welcome wherever you might be right across the SEN Radio Network. All thanks to Chemist Warehouse. It's the House of Ats. Johnny Steph in the house. Shoot show. <laughs> Hello, buddy. Hello, mate. I don't know if I should say it's the House of Ats and Horse Tracks. Because you came in here airborne today because you got the winner of the greatest race, I like to think, in the mm. world, the Melbourne Cup. And uh, you are uh, you got a nest on your chest today, uh, Mr. Cam Luke, and, he, and, he, and it's, it's, it's oozing off your aura. <laughs> it has been a big week, of course, SEN Track. We'll be back on with a different type of track on Saturday. But it's kind of an interesting time. Set a couple of athletes over the weekend, actually, Johnny Steph, enjoying some yes. of the downtime. But... Uh, it, it's interesting. I know we've got so much to get into with it all thanks to Chemist Warehouse. We'll talk about the... In fact, maybe we should start there because we were invited last week to a very important Chemist yes, Warehouse. We Extravaganza is probably the best word to excri- describe it last Friday, Johnny. Hey, we're talking Guy Sebastian. Yep. We're talking stars like Nina Kenny, Adams, yes. uh, Johnny Steph. <laughs> no, it was... No, no, it was it was it was amazing, Cam. You're quite right. I mean, uh, it, it, every time I, you know, and we're talking about the supplier function here. So for those that don't understand what a supplier function is, really, it's a it's a big thank you from Chemist Warehouse to all their suppliers who help support them throughout um, their year um, in all their stores. And um, and you know, as you know, teamwork is the most important thing in life. I mean, whether it's business or sport, anything that you're doing, uh, it's important. And um, so uh, you know, we were invited to uh, it was at it was at Margaret Court Arena. Yes. Cam, which was that that was that's big, very, very big. I mean, think about Margaret Court or some of the great tennis matches that have been played there over at uh at Olympic Park in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um and, and it was would have been what, three, four hundred people there, Cam? What? There was sixteen hundred people in the joint, mate. They made quite a decent <laughs> announcement at different times that it's grown from 120 to 1600. <laughs> well, three or four hundred people, mate. Just because you're in the front row, you didn't turn around at all, doesn't mean the whole joint wasn't packed. <laughs> but it, it was it was quite amazing. Some of the numbers they were throwing out, honestly, mate. I, I mean, we were hearing billions and billions yep. this and billions. And, and look, it's a testament to all the hardworking team at Campus Warehouse. Um, you know, from the board to Mario to Damien to Ilias to Rutene, um, to all all the hardworking team. You know, at Campus Warehouse, it was great. Great to see them uh, out on stage and uh, and showcasing and and how proud they were um, of what Chemist Warehouse and and we did get a little special mention. We were on the screen. We got what, what did we get? Five seconds of airtime. We did. You and I on the screen. Mate. We popped up, which was yes, good. We did. Yes, we did. So House of Athletics is blowing up for it all is. those that have taken part in the show throughout the year. Just let you know we're um, we're up there, Chemist Warehouse. They take us very seriously, Cam. Yeah, it was kind of cool to to see as well. They've done such a uh, Chemist Warehouse have done such a wonderful job of not just supporting us and making sure this show one was able to start and two able to continue. But you know, to see Nina Kennedy there, to see and, and have an active role, to see Brooke Stratton, to see these athletes at Chemist Warehouse continually are working with to make sure they one they get the help financially in certain aspects, but two to help with the exposure of athletics, which is what we do, John. This is what essentially. Essentially, this show is all about, right? It's just to be able to make sure that these athletes who are world-class and are battling for world and Olympic gold medals on a yearly basis, and people know about them. And Chemist Warehouse have continually done a great job of allowing them another platform so people know who the bloody hell these athletes are, these superstar athletes are. It's kind of cool. Yeah, Brooke Bushnell uh, and Nina Kennedy, 
and our girl um, Katrina Bissett were mm-hmm. all there um, on behalf of Athletes Australia. And um, and to see Nina Kennedy, uh, she was really the centre focus when it came to all the sports that, that chemists wear our support. Um, and she was essentially talking to suppliers about her story, and they really celebrated her, um, which was awesome to watch, Cam. And um, for our sport, which we've always sort of in the shadows of the big commercial sports, when you're looking at big commercial partners sponsoring our sport, they, this, it's just easy for them to go to NRL or AFL or, or soccer when trying to promote their brand. Um, so for Chemist Warehouse to really be believing in us, when I say us, to talk about athletic community and athletics Australia, I think is fantastic. And to see Nina on stage looking as wonderful as what she, as what she did and to speak as eloquent and as nice as what she did um, alongside Abby Holmes, as well as my boy, what's that boy from, cha- from Channel 9? What's his name? What's homeboy's name again? What, what's, what's... Well, uh, look, I, I don't know because I, as great as it was that no, I the, heard the, the... they were on. You were there, a... were you? That, see, no. you got stumped. See, because I... you, you were walking in and out putting bets on. I was and... not. That's actually 100% <laughs> incorrect. What actually happened is that I had to go and do a radio show a little later on. So when you went down with the VIPs and went down right to the front row, I decided to stay up a little higher so it wasn't a huge hindrance when I said, hey, I'm just going to duck out five minutes before the end of the show. So I can't answer that question for you. I was there for 70% of it. I seen Mario do one of the most remarkable things of all time. He walked around the country. In five minutes. In five minutes, mate. It was amazing. It was was unreal. And then I was, of course, I seen a little cameo from David Beckham. Yes. But I, I, I can't answer who that question from Channel 9 was because I did have to... Dis- I'll tell you his name. His name is... He hosts the NRL for Channel 9. He's, I'll tell you his name now. James Bracey. James Bracey. There, there you go. go. James Bracey oh. does an incredible job. Well, it only took you uh, a couple of minutes, Cam. But listen... Well, I, didn't know you were, I didn't know that James Bracey was involved. But yes, it was good. It was great. Gonna, and I just want to give a little shout out to Guy Sebastian, didn't he? Yes. It wasn't his performance wonderful. He, I, have, I have to admit, I like to be a little bit of a hater every now and then on the voice and those sort of things. But this that guy, Sebastian, honestly, that guy, he can sing, man. I don't care what anyone tells me. This guy is a performer and entertainer, and I love his songs. And and so did Sam Colbert. She didn't want to leave. Sam Colbert, general manager of the industry, she didn't leave, mate. She, she, I think she's got a little bit of a crush on... Uh, she said she did have a crush on Rob Mills, to be honest, you can. And Rob Mills featured as well. He did. Him and Bonnie Anderson, they featured. So, um, yeah, it was it was a good event. It was uh, Chemist Wears uh, pull out all the stops uh, when it comes to the supplier function. We were lucky to be a part of it, and hopefully uh, they'll continue supporting the House of Bass. Absolutely. Now, a couple of things going. In fact, what we might do... Let's squeeze a little break here because I want to talk about the silly season because the silly season is almost done. I actually got some information on the weekend. It surprised me a little bit about one of our top athletes here in Australia. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And I want you to talk about what it looks like over the next couple of sort of weeks, months, silly season. I get all of that, but the silly season is pretty much done because we are on the verge of a calendar year that involves an Olympic game. So we'll squeeze a break in. All thanks to Chemist Warehouse. Hey, actually... Before we go any further, I've got to shout out to the, well, about the 250,000 people who commented on my long jump final four that I unveiled last week at the world championships. And oh. every single person outside of Carl Lewis was positive about the order of which I <laughs> said, 
athlete. So outside of that, thank you to everyone. You can text in anytime you like, 0433981116. Now, you were, the videos up by all our socials. You can check them out on the SEN socials. But just quickly, you were a little surprised. But as the week has gone on, Johnny, I, yeah, I'm no. hearing and feeling you've softened. Yeah, I have. No, no, I've actually, I'm actually allowed to marinate. And, yep. and I feel, and, and we did, you and I did catch up uh, on Friday evening. We caught we up and we had a, uh, we had a couple of uh, just general hunters, did not know the lay of the land, what we we're talking about. And yep. and they all concurred. They all liked your yep. picks. They, they weren't upset. So, um, yeah, you get the stairs tick of approval. We're just going to wait uh, and uh, and see uh, next time when I give you this little bit of homework that you actually yep. do within the time frame so well, we can. Uh, how about this? You know, how about this? You give me right now, you give me any discipline right now and I'll do it within seven days. You, you, whatever, male, female, any discipline. You just give me an event and if it's Olympic Games or World Championship or all-time ranking or Australians, you give it to me. In seven days, I'll knock out the top four. Go on. Think of one right now. Just off the top of your head. Random. Easy. Easy. Yeah? Easy. Just an easy one. What do you got? The top five greatest 1,500-meter runners, male yeah, and female yeah, all times. All time. Olympics and worlds. So mix so that a female could be one and a male could be two. And I want person. male and female together. I want them together. together. I want the top five together. Jeez, I thought you were going to give me a tough one. So that is tough. That is very tough because you're going to have to. This is going to get really contentious because you're going to have to leave out a, a male for a female and a female for a yeah. male because there's yeah. been some greats out there, mate. There's so, all but top, top five, top yeah. five greatest. Yep, fifteen hundred meter runners, and I'll allow to include the mile in there because I, I personally okay. think the mile is the same as the fifty. So this we're talking of all times, both Olympics and World Championships. Would it? Would it? Be a bad thing. If they change the fifteen hundred meters of the Olympic Games to sixteen hundred meters to a mile race, oh, you know, I, I don't think I'm qualified enough. I think I, I'm not going to give a strong opinion on that. I'd love to get Stewie McSwain or Nick mm-hmm. Lidow or, or you know, or you know, Eloise Wellings or somebody like that, or Jen Lacaste to come and talk about that. I personally, I I can't you, give that to you. Okay, if, if you then... ask me, if you ask this from a spectator's point of view, yeah, I would say who cares? I'd say that's. That's, uh, I mean, another hundred meters. I, I like the what? condition of, of four, four clean laps. I think that's, uh, I think that's pretty cool, right? Do, so, do, uh, do you, know, you may not know the answer to this, and I do not. But why, why do we have fifteen hundred meters? Legitimately, I don't know. I, 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 legit- there may be I an honest, I don't, easy I, answer. I, I just don't know why. I, I think for any of our listeners, I want please call in mm. because I, I, I would love the answer. And I thought I knew everything when it came to mm. track and field. I do not. Oh, why? So, I just find it, if you were starting track and field, you, like the, the sport, it just did not exist in 2023 and you're sitting down, you're like, you know, let's nut some things out. Let's nut some distances. Let's, All right, do, the whole, let's do three and three quarter laps. There's a whole, exactly. There's like, a whole straight. Yeah. We'll call that 100 meters. Perfect. Oh, there's a little yeah. around the bend. 200. Uh, 400. Yeah. One lap of the whole thing. Makes sense. Two laps. Perfect. Hey, should we throw a 5,000 in? Absolutely. That works. 10,000. Yeah, the marathon is what the marathon is. 42Ks. Wait, should we do a mile? No. Nah, let's do fifteen hundred. Let's really mess with people. <laughs> it's it. It's a great event, and I love it. I'm not diminishing the event. I just find it interesting that that's the number and not actual mile that we talk a lot about. All right, I'm going to jot that down. That'll be next week. We'll go to a break. Silly yes. season, off season, and everything else next. Right here on the House of Asshole. Thanks to Kemba's Warehouse.
rush into Chemist Warehouse for the Christmas fragrance sale. Get big brand fragrances at the lowest prices. This is the House of Ats. Johnny Stephenson, Cam Luke, wherever you might be, right across the SEN radio network. You can get involved simply. 04-3398-1116. All right. I'm going to start with this because the silly season is pretty much over, Johnny. I bumped into our, our very close friend of the show, Stu McSwain, on Saturday and sort of just asked how he's going and what's news. And he said, I'm off to Japan. How was Big Stu going? Was he at the races? Was he was at the races. races taking how was he doing? Incredibly easy. Incredibly easy because he left for Japan. Wednesday, he races this weekend as a mile road race in Japan. I think he ran it 12 months ago, and uh, there is no doubt that financially there's obviously some incentive there for him. But uh, whilst he's not in, obviously, top form and his training's at a, a probably a, not a lower rate, but a little different rate than it will be in a few months' time, he, mm. he's into mm. it. He's in Japan, well, he's on the road, well, and away he goes. You see, the beautiful news, Stu McSwain, and, and you've achieved as much as what he's achieved in the sport, um, it allows him... So, I mean, this is really a time when he knows, look, man, Australian championships shouldn't be too hard for me to get the top three. Yep. Uh, Olympics, what I'm focusing on, which is nine months away, or for, well, really, it's 10 to 11 months away. Um, now's the time for him to earn some money so he can essentially afford to be able to, you know, run throughout the season. So I'd like to think, Cam, that um, I don't, you're very close to, to Stu, but I'd like to think it's a bit of a, a cash grab for him to go yeah. to Japan. Um, you know, also get a bit of base work training. Nick Bido is pretty smart with this sort of stuff um, and we'll sort of get him over there. He'll be going through the motions, picking up a check and coming back home. And just the flights would sort of throw you off, uh, Cam, when, when when you're doing these sort of things. But I like seeing these. I like seeing that from Stu, to be honest. I just hope that, you know, he can keep his keep himself healthy because when we see a healthy Stuart, is a dangerous dude on the track, man. So um, um, that's when the travel starts. That's when you get a bit older. Your body really doesn't pull up as good as what it used to when you used to travel. So, I mean, that'll be my only query when it comes to that with Stu. But he's a smart operator. And Nick, him and Nick know what they're doing. Hey, we're here right now. What is it? Early November is an Olympic year on the horizon. You know, we're, we're two months away. This season's mm. about to start, the Australian domestic season. It is time, right? These athletes and many who we have spoken to, on the back of Budapest or maybe earlier in the year, they spoke about their downtime and how they try and get a little bit of it. It's done, right? It, it is time for these athletes to go back to work, no, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and we knew then it's game time, you know, like you got, you got nine months of, of hell coming your way. Um, and the only real reprieve you get is maybe the, the 10 days leading before Olympic games, you know, um, and that's if you're blessed enough to get through your trials. So, um, but yeah, as, as you have alluded to, Cam, um, we've seen a lot of coaching changes throughout this period after world championships because mm. um, athletes start to get desperate. Like we talked about, you know, they, they start to, they start to look at um, the fact that, Hey, do we, you know, do we make sure we uh, work through what we currently had that maybe didn't work through Olympic games? Um, do I have faith in that program? Um, did I make the move the year before? Uh, and now is this is the second year where I normally believe it takes a couple of years for an athlete really to, to marinate within the coaching program. Um, and then, you know, the athletes have to do the Hail Mary cam. They just go, you know what, man, I, I ran so bad last year. I'm not vibing with my current environment. Um, that's it. It's over. I'm going, to, I'm going to another coach that's promising me the world and I'm mm. hoping that he can deliver me the world. So, um, but this is completely over now. In you know, our Australian summer season, um, you'll be getting a lot of Australian athletes, the ones that are wanting to make Olympics that are quite younger, starting their comp season right before cr- Christmas. 
Um, yep. And then you get our, our, our pros will start the summer season in January um, all the way into the Australian Championships in April. Um, so uh, for the Southern Hemisphere athletes, um, you're talking everyone in the Oceania, um, the, our season really starts, you know. Um, and so you, you're, seeing, you're seeing the Stu McSwains will be hit, entering our season, um, you know, using it as preparation for training and using it as exposure of their brand. And then you'll have the young athletes, young Thundercats, so maybe someone like Cameron Myers, who knows he's a gun that wants to make his first Olympics, coming out and giving it to these senior athletes through the summer season, cementing his position for Olympic Games because he wants to make his first team. So it becomes it becomes this real strange dance through our summer season in the summer, Southern Hemisphere. And you start to get the Northern Hemisphere athletes that are looking down going, what, what is what is those Oceania? What are, what are the Australians going to present to us you know, come Olympic Games, they get the first exposure of what, what the, the Oceania Southern Hemisphere region is going to sh showcase for Olympic Games, who's in form, who's injured, who's not. And then you get some of the Northern Hemisphere athletes that want to come down and race and do what Stu McSwain's doing in Japan right now and make a bit of money and come down to Australia and showcase their skills in the Southern Hemisphere to grow their brand and make some money. Um, so then that you start to see all this dance that happens throughout, throughout now. And it starts now, Cam. The games are over. Your, your Olympic Games prep is now. Like it, they, they ain't no. Oh, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. This could change. No, no. Whatever you have, you're locked and loaded, and you're getting ready for Paris. Man, you know what? So what's the date, mate? We're three weeks away from the Zatapak. Saturday night is the Chemist Warehouse Zatapak ten. So like, this is where it all it all begins. And and you touch on those athletes who who want to be rolling early. I, I don't want to open the. Uh, the chest up again and have you speak about what you spoke about last week, where I 100% agreed with you about trials and, and timing of it. But uh, like th these athletes, these younger athletes in particular, I want to try and use some of that momentum right now from that Zatapec 10 through the trials in the early new year to be able to get ready to go to make that Olympic team. And it changes their whole perspective, right? What If you're able to get a great time, a qualifying time early or run really like, your whole year changes. You're not chasing in Europe. You're not trying to peak here and peak there and hoping for a little bit of luck or ending up, I'm talking more about the distance racing here, end up in a fast race somewhere where someone's trying to chase times. And it does happen in Olympic year. Get it. And I know a lot of middle distance races this year were quick. But boy, oh boy, you've got to be ready to go. And these are, it's exciting 100%. times. It's an exciting so it time. Olympic year is always exciting. And, and if all the, any track fans are listening to this program, even sports fans, if you get a chance to go to, to another, another national championships in the Northern Hemisphere, it is, it is like going to Olympic Games, man. It's, it's absolutely really, really cool. In the UK, their national championships is sensational. In America, obviously, at Oregon, um, they host a fantastic uh, uh, Olympic trials. It, it, I, I've been lucky enough to go to both of those um, as a spectator. And, um, and wow, man, the vibe and the energy you really see how much it means to become an olympian for those two nations and and it's no different for us down here in australia so when you're talking about getting a good uh, spring step early on in the year especially for the younger athletes because they got the youth Absolutely. right behind their side they can carry they can carry a lot longer than what say the the older sort of um athletes that are, that have been stalwarts of the of, of the distance or the jump or the throw um, like you met Denny, you know, he'll be just trying to prep. His sole focus of the Olympic Games, his sole focus, I would like to believe, will be coming to Australia, um, be throwing in Australia, uh, showcasing his brand, showcasing his skills, showcasing his smile, training through the whole summer season, and then getting ready for when, when the European season starts to go bang and to go out there and win us a gold come Paris. I'm going to make a prediction, Johnny. 
Go on. I love your predictions. And you know what? You're on fire. I haven't even looked. And I'm not going to question now. Even though out of 10 races yesterday, you gave me nine losses and, and yeah. one win. And the one win, yeah. I bet was going to bet on it anyway. But keep going. Don't yeah. mean to interrupt you. Don't mean to keep going. Well, I, I see Melbourne Cup Day like, you know, I don't need to tell you who's going to win the Diamond League. I just need to tell you who's going to win the Olympic gold medal, right? <laughs> That's how it all sort of sorts out as people try and work their way through it. Why well, they work their way through it? I think we will we will see an Olympic gold. I haven't seen the Olympic schedule, Ross. I, I, I this is probably a little dangerous. So I'll extend it. I was going to say two, but I'll extend it to three. I think we'll see an Australian Olympic gold medal on the track. Sorry, in track and field within the first three days of competition in Paris. Well, I, and I haven't seen it. Ooh wee. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Ooh-wee. So I need to probably. I should have probably had a look. But I yeah, think within I think the first three days, we'll have an Olympic gold medalist. I think never, I, I, I predict. I predict we we we. And I'm not being negative here. I think I think it's going to be very hard for us to get a gold medal. I think what we what we achieved at World Championships mm-hmm. was was sensational. Um, what it has done, mm-hmm. what it has done, it has shifted the paradigm, the belief structures for our Australian team. Agreed. That it has done right. Meaning that these athletes preparing now to win a gold medal. Absolutely. I can't, I can't contradict myself when I say that. Where, where, where I do believe that it's going to be very hard for us because I, I, I do know that Olympic Games, world chance is very serious, but Olympic Games is just something else. It's that extra 2% cam and people go above and beyond to win that gold medal come Olympic Games. So that's my reservation, why I say I'm a little bit reserved on whether mm-hmm. I feel we can win a gold. But... What we done in world championships is yep. you talk about momentum, Cam. You talk about that Absolutely. momentum. That momentum is going to hold us in great stead. Not good stead, great stead for Paris. I like it. I like where your head's at. Just quickly as well, I've got another way too early prediction. This is what I love. But if Kane Corns can give out his grand final predictions, <laughs> we can give out our predictions for Paris, which is like three months sure. before the Olympics, right? Sure we can. Yes. Tell you this. Go on. I'm not quite sure, male or female. I'm not quite sure. But we will see. I'm probably going to err towards the male side of it, but... I'm not 100% certain, only because the record and the female are so hard. I think we're going to see a 400-meter world record broken in the season. Not necessarily the Olympic Games. Yeah. yeah. But the men's, now the women's is so incredible. That, that, yeah. that world record from 1985, which, of course, was broken in, in yeah. Canberra and still held. But the yeah. fact is, men's are one of them. One of the 400-meter world records will go uh, next year. I, I don't think the men's 400-meter world record will go, not, not and not even close. I, I think really? the only chance the only chance we have a, a world record, I think, is in the women's 400. I think mm-hmm. Sydney McLaughlin has the best chance of breaking that world record. Um, we, we unfortunately, she pulled out of world championships this year. Um, I'm, I'm, being, I'm pretty close to a team, and, and, and I speak to Sydney's husband quite a bit. And, um, yes. and I mean, Bobby Kersey is, is a genius when it comes to, I mean, he's, he's the great coach of Jackie Joyner, Kersey, Alison Felix, Dawn Harper, Jenny Powell, um, you know, and the and the list goes on. Um, he knows how to get them ready for world championships, and and I, I honestly think Sydney McLaughlin is is the same the female Usain Bolt. She is um, unbelievable of of a talent, um, and it was sad to see at world championships. So I think your prediction can be quite right. If she get if she stays injury free, Cam, there's no way in the world that she doesn't have a chance to win that goal that to break that world record. I definitely think she can. I just don't know whether she's got. I just don't know whether last year threw off a bit where she's going to think. Do I just get a guaranteed gold and jump in the four hurdles again because she will win that? Or whether I, I or whether I, I stick and try and win a blue ribbon and, and win the four hundred, right? So I mean that's the that's the only question. I don't have the answers for that now, and I'm seeking those answers from your team, but I, I've been yet to get them. So um, 
Yeah, that, that's going to be interesting. I think, Cam. Hit me. That we're talking from an Australian perspective. Mm. Um, I really like, and I really think he will. I like to see Andrew Faitney put a lot of pressure on our relay teams. Um, we had, we have had, and when I say Andrew Faitney, he's a high performance director of Athletics Australia, and um, and and I'd really like to see, um, I really like to see one of our teams or just like no four um and with that i was privileged to be a part of a team that we had no chance in the middle and we were blessed to win one once we made the final so i'd love to see more um in a, in a, in the relay and um and and my prediction is that that we will see uh i'd like to see at least two teams make a relay final come paris i love it i love these early predictions and i love the fact that i've tipped you into it and you've jumped in so eagerly to get involved. Well, thanks to Kemmer's Warehouse. It's a house of ads. Get involved. You can do it at home, wherever you might be. 0433981116. Rush into Chemist Warehouse for the Christmas fragrance sale. Get big brand fragrances at the lowest prices. This is the house of ads. Right across Australia, all thanks to Chemist Warehouse. It's a house of ads. And as we always do on this show, we always talk about it. And we always, honestly, we do it. We get the superstars, the legends, either current or in the case of our next guest, recently retired. Evan O'Hanlon is one of the greats. He joins us now. Paralympic. In fact, not just a Paralympic legend, an Australian sporting legend. I would read out your CV, Evan, but we haven't got that much time. So I just want to welcome you and straight in, mate. Congratulations on a wonderful career. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And thanks for the uh, awesome introduction there. It's, uh, it's a bit weird to have to be on the other side and um, talking about it in past tense, but thank you. Hey, we'll get into your career in a moment and, and the emotions around it, but how are you feeling right now? Like there's, there's one to make the decision, there's another to announce it, and when it becomes real is sort of when it's in the, in the public realm. How do you feel I, only really a, a week or so into this? Yeah, so I kind of knew going into World Championships that uh, it was do or die. I needed to uh, be in the medals to be able to maintain my funding, to be able to even think of um, continuing. And I knew that was going to be pretty tough, especially two weeks out, I tore my hamstring. So it was a bit of a miracle that I was even able to run there. And then going into the final, I knew that uh, I was going to be able to, I was going to have to pull something special out of the bag. And I knew I'd done that before, but I just didn't have the same level of confidence that I was going to be able to do it. Um, as I have in the past because of that injury. So um, while it, while it seems like it's all come about really fast, it has been a long process. I've kind of been retiring since 2016. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like it, it, it feels nice to finally like put it out there and say, yeah, I'm, I'm done with athletics. No, you're thinking about retiring since 2016. You've got a couple more Olympic Games and some world championships back into it, man. So that's a decent way to... In that career, you're, you're clearly a competitive beast, right? So, you know, there, there's a great deal of pride in what you're able to do at the World Championships, even though you didn't quite reach the standard of which you've set with your, your excellence. Are you able to look back and still be proud of what you did? It was the catalyst of of the retirement and, and obviously the next phase of your life. But do you, are you able to just push the comp- competitive, you know, mindset away and, and understand exactly what you still did, even though you didn't medal? Yeah, like I'm proud of my career. Um, I think probably not right now that I, I can see that that was like a benefit to me coming last yep. in the final. <laughs> That's still pretty disappointing. But I know other things in my career where I've really kind of failed by my 
by my standards uh, have have changed my life or, and my career as well. So, you know, in 2016, when I was going in thinking that I was just going to pick up my last gold medal and retire and then coming second because, again, of an injury in the heats, um, that changed my whole look on life and my career. And I then picked up bobsled as a result of that. Uh, because I stayed in the sport, I was able to fall into the hole that I felt, or not the hole, but the um, fall into the sport of bobsled uh, that I did, and and that was an amazing experience. So hopefully, there's a silver lining in my retirement as well, and my eighth place at Commonwealth. A lot of people may not realise this, but you are, and you mentioned the bobsled there. You, you're a, you're a two sport star, right? So. The bobsled, I know there was a fair bit of challenges when it comes to certain situations around the bobsled and, and injuries, which is unfortunately, when you have a career that spans two decades, injuries are going to pop up regardless of the discipline. But, man, like the, the bobsled situation, but we'll, we'll get to your wonderful athletics career and gold after gold after gold. But what, what, what did you make of it? What did you take out of it? And what do you look back on it and think? Bobsled was really cool because I got to take uh, what I've learned in athletics and apply it to a different space. You know, when you retire from, and I'll and I'll probably find that now, but I know retiring from sport, speaking to other people, you take elements of what you've learned and you're able to apply it to work or, you know, your career, outside of athletics, that is. And in bobsled, I was able to take all those things that I was really good at and try and wrap them into a, a new package. Mm-hmm. So there was really challenging things. Uh, the mental aspect of driving the bobsled, uh, I was the pilot. So yep. um, learning how to do that, but being able to draw on my ability to stay calm under pressure and, um, and you know, obviously my speed uh, at, at, the, at the start helps. Uh, those things, those really, those lessons that I learned in athletics, you know, going to people that um, already know to learn, um, who to talk to, uh, how to approach it and stay calm and focusing on my breathing and things like that, those things really helped me change that sport and uh, change into that sport. And it was one of the best experiences of my life going 145 Ks an hour on your head or whether it's on your head or on runners is pretty cool. What is, what was the catalyst behind it? Like, is there a decision that there was a long-term conversation? Did you just wake up one day and like, you know what, I'm going to give this a crack. What? So I'm interested and I'm not overly surprised when athletes of your level and caliber and the, the elite level of which you've competed in one sport is able to translate to another sport. Not to make, to diminish how hard it would be, but it doesn't overly surprise me sitting in the stand. So when I see your career, it doesn't stun me, but I, I, I'm i more interested in the psyche as to why and how you made that decision. Yeah, there's a couple of things that went into it. <clears throat> I've always wanted to go to the Olympics. Um, not that I rate the Olympics higher than the Paralympics. In fact, the Paralympics is probably uh, in, in my in my psyche yeah. um, higher because of the, I know the stories that go into the athletes Absolutely. getting there and across the world from different, all different places and the, the troubles they have to go through to get there. So every, every athlete at the Paralympics has a story, but I've always wanted to go to the Olympics. My wife is an Olympian. So kind of had to try and uh, match her a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then also uh, I was sitting in uh, the gym at the New South Wales Institute of Sport and the guy that was looking after me in the gym that day was Zolt uh, Zumba. Uh, and he was a Hungarian bobsledder back in the day, 110 kilos and could run faster than me, or 115, I think, at one stage. And he'd been working a little bit with the uh, Australian bobsled team, teaching them how to push and stuff in warm weather, obviously, on the track. Clearly. But extract. And, uh, and the, at the same time that I was sitting there warming up on the TV screen, the Australian bobsled team came down at the Olympic Games 
And I turned to him and I said, you reckon I could make the team? And his immediate reaction on his face was like, no, mate, you've got no chance. But it only took him about three or four seconds and he looked yep. back and he's like, actually, why not? Like, mm-hmm. you can run that fast, as yep. fast as most of them. You can lift as much weights as most mm-hmm. of them. So, like, why can't you? And and from then I was like, now I have to go do it because it's, it's possible. Absolutely. And and you proved that it is possible to be able to not translate, but also continually be able to be really good at, at two major sports. Let's go, let's go back to, to Paralympics because when it comes to gold medals, you you're the greatest we've seen. And and I want to go back to that first Olympic Games, or at least a selection towards the first Paralympics that you're involved in. Like I know it's a, a testament to you, it's such a long time ago, but I'm assuming those those moments and those feelings and the emotional passion behind it are somewhat still strong in your mind when you you got the tap on the shoulder and knew you, and knew you were going? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a long time ago now and I've got brain damage, so we'll see if I can remember. But, uh, uh, like, early on in my career, it was very, it was a bit different to later in my career because yep. early on in my career, I was so far ahead once i got going i was so far ahead of everyone else that i was basically walking into the teams and i was the first selected in most of those teams um so i didn't kind of get that experience of being thankful that i made the team early on in my career yeah can i just ask you on that sorry to interrupt but like is it easy to hold the motivation when you're as dominant as you were i know that sounds ridiculous but you know we hear from athletes in every sport that get pushed by competition day in day out and and honestly for a long time you didn't necessarily have that so the motivation side of that did it ever wane no not when i was good it didn't wane because i wanted to stay the best and i wanted to push it as (laughs) far as i could so that no one could ever catch me yep um in the record books which they ended up doing but uh that didn't wane at all no i I was always motivated the motivation for me is is lower when i'm not winning so when when i know there's a lot of work to be done to possibly get back and possibly not get back when it was, I knew when I was winning, I knew I was going to win. So everything I did was worthwhile. True. Um, it was easy to invest time. It was easy to invest my money in everything. Um, when it's hit and miss and you're not sure that's, it's harder to invest. Yep. All right. Let's go back to Beijing because uh, it started what was a, a wonderful career an elite career. And one of the best we have seen, like, what you're able to do in Beijing and then into London is is the reason that you are considered one of the greats we've ever seen in this country. It was it was a remarkable story, but it was one that was built on a lot of hard work. But geez, you were dominant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we weren't sure that I was going to be that dominant leading into Beijing, yep. um, but uh, I'd had some pretty decent runs, and I knew that I was capable of breaking the world record, and possibly if everything went to went to plan and mm-hmm. all the conditions were right that I could possibly run under 11 seconds and become the first athlete with cerebral palsy to do that. And, uh, and it was a bit strange because the field was a little bit weak that, that year. So we only had a straight final. We didn't get a warm up. We didn't mm-hmm. get a, a heat or a semifinal or anything. Uh, and, and testament to the guys that were running is that uh, countries didn't want to send their athletes to get their, you know, get beaten so you scared the field off i'll say because you're too humble clearly and we, we we traditionally don't have humility on this show not that i've got anything to be overly uh braggy about but the fact that's that that's actually what happened that the fields at some points at the olympic games and the paralympic games and these events were diminished because in the eyes of many they were running for a silver or bronze yeah so i went there and um there wasn't enough athletes to make heats and finals so we just went for a straight final with i think nine guys yep. in the end so an extra lane and um 
going out to race that race. That was the first time I'd stepped onto the track. So uh, I'm going to try and run my personal best time and yeah. you know, win a win a Paralympic Games without stepping on the track yet. And so that was pretty nerve wracking uh, experience, but I was able to get away with the 1096 and, mm -hmm. and I was, yeah, like that was a bit of relief and, and surprise when I crossed the line together. Based on that story, and a, a, a simple yes or no, or again, you don't need, you can break if you want, it's what we do on this show. Do, <laughs> do you think, had it have been running traditional scenes where you would have had a heat first and then a final, do, do you think you would have ran a 10 8? Probably not at that point. I okay. could have probably run a little bit faster, but probably not 10 8 at that point. Yep. I just, my body wasn't ready. I hadn't really done any proper weight sessions at mm -hmm. that point or really heavy weight sessions. We were focusing on the long term development so that. Yep. The, the the goal with Irina, my coach, who's an amazing coach, she's uh, I'll stop short of saying super coach because she doesn't like that, but that's what she is. Yep. Um, you know, the plan was always to get to 2016 in Rio and run as fast as I possibly could. So we weren't trying to go too fast too early. We were just trying to uh, win what we needed to win and break yep. break what we wanted to break and be able to get to 2016 in the best shape possible. And realistically, I did. I just got injured in the heat. I would have. Mm. I was ready to win uh, Rio even. Though the guy ran ten sixty five, I mm -hmm. I raced that time uh, two weeks earlier yep. um, in a training run with with uh, my training partner. So it doesn't count as a world record, but I ran exactly the same time two weeks earlier. So everything went to plan in my career up until two thousand uh, and sixteen, and and uh, that's testament to Irina. Uh, a lot of athletes that I interview or chat to in in, in different forums speak more about thinking about the disappointment. It's, it's almost a human psyche <laughs> that we focus more on the negative. And it's not just in sport, it's in society. But you know, do you think more about the Rio disappointment than you do about the wonderful deeds and the gold medals, all five of them at Beijing and London? Yeah, probably. Well, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> you know, the, 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 fact, the fact that you hesitated actually means you're in a better spot than a, than a lot of other people that I've touched on. Like I've spoken AFL premiership players who got three or four in the back pocket and they talk more about the fact of the grand final they lost and the actual four wonderful moments of, of winning AFL grand finals. So the fact you hesitated means you're, you're a fair way in front of a lot of these other, these other incredible athletes. And this is why you are where you are, right? Because of the, the driven aspect of any particular sport. But I do like the fact that you hesitated. Yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit lucky in that I'm looking back and realistically, my career ended in 2016, and I was just able to add a whole lot of time onto the end of that mm -hmm. um, and have some more, I guess, more relaxed approach, but uh, still able to do some pretty cool stuff. And and so I don't, and my as my career like kind of petered out like that, I'm a, I have a little bit more perspective than the guys that have just retired and they've and they've come off a loss or something like that. And I'm probably pretty thankful for that because coming out of Rio and thinking that I was retiring and knowing that I'd just come second and been beaten for the first time in my life. I was in a whole nother world of pain in my mind. I hated it and I, I couldn't. And it's the reason I kept going. Yep. Something's gardening next door, which is great. <laughs> um, they, uh, but, you know, coming out of Rio, I was in a whole nother world of pain and I, uh, it's the reason I kept going honestly, because I didn't want people to think that I'd retired because it got tough. Mm -hmm. I didn't think, I didn't want people to look at my career and think, Oh, so you did really well and everything was going well. Okay. He was able to win when everything was good, but now now someone's beaten him, he's just going to walk away. I like that. Uh, I like the fact that you're able to then parlay that into, you know, still incredible accomplishments on the back of it. I will ask you about COVID, though, because 
A lot of athletes were so challenged for so many obvious reasons and the Paralympics so different than any other Paralympics we've ever seen. How, how did you, when you're in that mindset and, you, and you're going through a sort of different phase in your career, did, did, did COVID help or hinder, I suppose, the way you're looking at certain things? Uh, you can look at it both ways, but mm. honestly, I wouldn't have been at Tokyo 2020 or 2021 yes. um, if COVID didn't happen. I broke my foot bobsledding in 2020. Yeah. Time. Came home um, Christmas Eve to straight to the hospital. My brother-in-law picked me up from the train station. He's like, man, I can't take you home like that. You can't mm. walk. So um, we went straight to the hospital and found out that I'd broken my foot very, very badly with a Linz Frank fracture mm. and a fifth metata- fourth metatarsal also in, in pieces through the joint. Uh, so I then ended up in 2021 having two surgeries in Germany and came back across the border just as the shutdowns were happening. So yeah. I got home and was able to then train, you know, I didn't, couldn't run. I couldn't walk. Yeah, so I couldn't we, run. So true. Didn't, didn't need access to a track. Yep. Uh, just went to the local park where they had a bit of fitness equipment outside and went up there with a trolley every day full of my own equipment and added it to, to theirs and uh, worked out the best I could. And I was in reasonably good shape. So I was able to come back and run again. I had been told to retire by the doctors, like you'll never run again. So to be, yep. for me to be able to get third in Tokyo, I was mm. I was really happy with that. Like that's you've never seen me smile when I when I cross cross the line in second or third or or anything else place other than first. Um, but that's probably the one time in my career where I was like, I deserve that, and that is an absolute achievement because I was down for the count. You, you talk about, and, and rightfully so, the the Paralympics. Every single person who competes in any sport has a, a story and an amazing story and you're no different. So when you get told by the doctors that you'll never run again and broken foot and all the rest of it, do you just sort of like file it away and like, oh, I've had bigger challenges than this. <laughs> I guess there's a, there's a part of that. And the other part is, well, I'll show you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be able to do it. Uh, maybe everybody else can't, but, but I can. And uh, also I was sitting over in the Czech Republic at that stage. We were living there. I lived there for four years. Yep. Um, I had two small kids, Ursula and Freddie. And, uh, that was my only, my only income was my, um, my athletics. So if I had said, okay, I quit, we didn't have any money to live off. So I had to say, no, 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 wait for me. I'll come back. I'll come back. I'll make it. And I had to convince them that I'll get back. Otherwise I was, wasn't going to have any cash. (laughs) Outstanding story as, as so much of your career has, has been, I I do want to ask you about now, stop me when I'm when, when I'm wrong here. Obviously, your your wife has competed, you know, at the international and at the Olympic Games. Your sister and your dad both very high level rowers. If not, they compete for Australia yeah. as well. Yeah. So my sister yep. Elsa was uh, world university champion in the single mm-hmm. skull. My dad was a coxswain at world championship level for Australia. And my sister Anna, who's my youngest, I've got five sisters. Yeah. So okay. It's hard to keep track of all of them. Fair. Um, don't ask me what their birthdays are. <laughs> uh, Anna just, she's uh, an amazing talent. Um, yep. She has also had a couple of ups and downs in her career. She's had pancreatitis from about 12 or 13 years old in and out of hospital. So she uh, lives without a pancreas now. And she was just coxed the Oxford crew in the Oxford versus Cambridge boat race uh, over in Jeez. on the Thames in London. So, um, yeah, she's going to come back uh, next week. I've got to give her a car back to her. Yeah. So, uh, so she'll come back in and hopefully uh, make her way up in the Australian team as well. 
So, so the the question I had when when you marry an elite athlete, when you obviously you know your, your dad is one, and your and your sisters, and a few of your sisters are at that elite level. Does, does it make it easier? Does it make like do the conversations you have and the and I guess the motivation and inspiration that every single person that seems to be around you seems to deliver as well. Does that does that help you? Do you think in your career at some point? Yeah, I guess you start with a little bit more pressure because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I I grew up around sports, so you know, we were going. I remember being out on a boat on one of my uncle's yachts, and uh, we were out there. He's in he's in a gold medal in um, in Olympic sailing, right? He's in the first crew as well, yeah. to win a gold medal. And uh, on the boat, we had. Um, Stefan, oh man, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his last name. Fair. One uh, who was in the Australian eight that won a silver medal at the Olympics as well. So there were there was athletes everywhere. So it kind of um, made it achievable in my mind that you yeah. know anyone can do this if they put their mind to it. But it also um, showed me all the different ways you could do it. You mm-hmm. can be relaxed and rely on your talent, or you can um, be very pedantic and um, pick up all the small things and. I guess in my career, I was a mixture of both. Early on, I was probably pretty pedantic and and um, doing all that. And then later on, I was a little bit more loosey-goosey. And uh, we'll see what happens and hopefully it all comes together. Hey, mate, what's next? Uh, what, what what does that look like now for you? Uh, <laughs> I don't Too know. soon? I was like, yeah, <laughs> like... Um, I'm investigating a few things. <laughs> yep. Do you want, to, you want to stay in the sport? You want to stay in the, the sports side of it? I know that obviously there's so much... You have to offer the world in and outside of sport, and when you've done it at the highest level for so long, I can imagine that you need a little break occasionally. But is the is the sport something you want to stay in long term? Uh, athletics, particularly, uh, it's hard yeah. for me because I've been in the sport for so long, and mm. um, I obviously have an opinion on a lot of things. So I've burned mm. a lot of bridges. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard to stay involved in athletics just because. Um, people don't like me. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you this, Evan. The, the man who does this show with me uh, every single week is John Stephenson. Yeah, so he's, he, well. he's a good guy. He's, he's a good guy well. to get some advice on that because, you know, and there are athletes that, you know, find themselves in certain situations that isn't necessarily loved by the governing body, but they are doing it for the right reasons because the athletes are the ones who know exactly what needs to be done in, in any certain way or certain aspect at any time of the life, right? Exactly, exactly. So um, I know I have stuff to offer. I'm not sure exactly what it is at the moment because I've worked so long with Irina and I know how how much knowledge she has to be able mm-hmm. to coach. So I don't think that I have the ability to coach and also the patience. I just can't work with people that can't get out of their own way to be that's, to be better. So yeah, that, um, that, that's probably going to hurt you being a coach then. Yeah. So um, I guess there's a role for me somewhere, but I haven't found it yet. And then um in bobsled i'm trying to help out the boys that are competing uh, now so yep. we've got two new pilots they've just headed over and they're about to race their first races in lake placid mm. uh, new york so uh and i've been on the phone to a couple of those boys this week trying to help them just try and figure out how to drive properly and the lines that they need to take uh and so i'm doing what i can to help out but uh in saying that if anybody anywhere out there has any money to help the bobsled team, um, they the boys, the men's team has absolutely nothing. They're going to be coming back and forward all season to try and get back and work a few a few weeks before they go back to race again. So um, if anyone is in the, out there, uh, get in contact with me and I can uh, can get you in the right place. I would love to go back to bobsled. Mm-hmm. Um, it was some of the best times uh, in, in my career. It was really challenging, and that's what I loved about it, but also um, just – 
you know, being able to get into a sled with four boys that, or three boys behind me that are fully relying on me to be able to get them down to the bottom without killing them and putting their trust in me is, yeah. is, is crazy. And it's such a good feeling. Hey, Ev, mate, regardless of what happens, you're going to dominate because that's exactly what we've grown accustomed to and you doing it for the last two decades, mate. So believe me, from people who and uh, of what you do, what you do, and are incredibly proud as as Australian sporting and, and Paralympic fans, mate, we have no doubt that you're going to, uh, whatever it is, you're going to crush the next phase of your life, mate. Thank you for, for joining us, man, and good luck. Yeah, no worries. Thank you very much for having me. Absolute superstar. We'll get to a break. All thanks to Chemist Warehouse right around Australia. This is the House of Ats. Rush into Chemist Warehouse for the Christmas fragrance sale. Get big brand fragrances at the lowest prices. This is the House of Aths. Right around Australia, all thanks to Chemist Warehouse, John Stephenson, Cam Luke. It is the House of Aths. Now, got to get out of here. You've given me seven days of homework. You're going to name the top five 1,500-meter athletes of all time. That's male and female all combined. Give me a name that you are certain you think I'm going to include. Like, give me a name you like. Hisham Straight up, Cam's going to have this person. Al Garouche. Hisham Al Garouche has to be in there. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he has to get through that. Well, he has he, to be in there. Right now, I'll do a little more research and dive a little deeper into my homework. I'd be very surprised if he's not number one. And that uh, legitimately. Now, there's a couple of names I'm tossing around in my head, but okay. I think Al Garouche is. is uh, yeah, so, so what you're saying is you want Uncle Steph to do your no. homework? No, I do Steph. not. I just you wanted want- to. <laughs> I just wanted to know. I was actually thinking there's a couple of names. I was going to ask you what you, someone you don't think I'll have in there, which will be controversial. I, I think it'll be tough not to have uh, Ingebrigtsen in there. And, I'm, I'm, and, and I think it's easy. Not, I think it's easy not to have him in there. But I'm just saying. I, I yeah. Think, I mean, you look at someone like Safana Hassan. I'm talking about current. I mean, my. Yep. I, I'm talking just off the top of my head now. I yes. think she's fantastic. I mean, when you look at the list, it, it's it's. It's uh, very tough, and, and there will be and, and there will be great. Look, I only mentioned a couple of current day athletes yeah, with, that, I, that I think are sensational. They go down in history, right? But mm-hmm. yeah, without diving into it yet too deeply, I would say I'm more likely to have a recent or a current female fifteen hundred meter runner in it than I am to have a male. So Inga Britson, yep, yeah, yeah, love it, love him, freak, absolute freak in the best way. But right now, I'd be leaning towards him not being in the five. This is all time, John. This is all time. I don't want to get caught up in recent at, advice. You start looking at Legat? Yeah. Bernard Legat? Now, now we're starting mm-hmm. to talk. Of course, when we when I do this in the 800 meter runners of all time, you might get a look in after you uh, <laughs> famously did <laughs> one lap in 49. Hey, we're going to get out of here for Chemist Warehouse. <laughs> hey, Johnny, we'll see you next week. Hey, thank you, brother. Take care.